People don't realize most of the trouble people get in is because they was really traumatized as a child and they carried that anger for years. You know, we've seen a doubling of the prison population. A large percentage of that is for nonviolent drug offenses. As of 2017, the incarcerated population of the United States is over 2 million. This accounts for a fourth of the world's incarcerated population. Many of them have been convicted of nonviolent or first-time offenses, but locked away for decades. This is a reminder that those people should not be forgotten. This is why we need to tell their stories. Welcome to the first episode of the Tell Their Stories podcast. Before we kick this off, I'd like to take a moment to thank some wonderful people and the amazing work they've done to make this project possible. First, I'd like to thank Kevin and Christina from The Graphic Jar for their amazing graphic design work and branding for Tell Their Stories. And second, I'd like to give a huge shout out to Pierre from Old Timer Productions who is taking care of the Tell Their Stories sound design and production needs. This project would be nothing without your help, so thanks to all of you. In this first episode, you'll be hearing Sherry's story. I met Sherry in my Administration of Justice classes at our local community college. She candidly told me about her conviction and that her life is an open book. She's happy to share her story in the hopes it might help someone else, especially any young women who need guidance. Sherry and I met in our campus library, so you might hear some background noises and notice that we're speaking more quietly than usual. If you're having trouble hearing or understanding, I've provided an audio transcript for this episode. Just go to www.telltheirstoriesproject.com transcripts to follow along with or read this episode's written transcript. Content warning. This episode contains detailed descriptions of domestic violence and child abuse, including sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. I'd like you to start by telling us your name and a short summary of what exactly led to your conviction. My name is Sherry Drake. What led to my conviction was domestic violence. Can you tell me more about that? Um, married a Navy guy, 20 years of my senior. I married February, no, December the 13th, 1983, happened to become the first domestic violence of the state of California. By that, do you mean the first like case of domestic violence like on record or? On record where both participants are arrested. Ended up getting convicted. Mainly because I said if he put his hands on me again, I was gonna kill him. But did that pretty close to eight years. Ended up at every female prison in the state of California. Close Stockton. Obtained my GED from Chowchilla. One volunteer teacher. Probably was about 82 years old told me one day, Sherry, you have the right to remain dumb if you choose to, but we choose not to be dumb. So he made me take the GED for the fourth time, which I scored third in the class. Can't even look at it as prison. Why is that? Depending on how you grew up, where you grew up, and around whom you grew up, sometimes prison does end up being the best place. Do you think it was the best place for you at the time? At that time, I do, because mm -hmm. I had a lot of 
anger. As you see, I still have anger. But it's a good anger because um, now that I have gotten older and things that I went through as a child, adolescence, can't blame it on the state. Can't blame it on my mom as a single mother. She did the best she could. But there are situations that I was placed in that the state of California definitely knew about and continued to let it go on. So I just thank God as I look back that I didn't kill my husband. If I had it to do again, I would do it. He just kept getting away with it. The restraining orders didn't work. Going to court didn't work. Now that I can think more clear, I took domestic violence, anger management. I took a lot of courses in prison to help me understand my anger. So you served eight years in prison? Yes. And do you think, because you said that generally, you think that it was a positive experience for you? It was positive, but um, taught me how to live in a community, taught me how to tolerate a whole lot. It also teaches you to turn the other cheek. But what I really learned is rehabilitation lies within oneself. Hell, I forgot I dropped out of school in the 10th grade. Even though I got my GED in prison, but I didn't have nobody forcing me to go to school. Yeah. And I even think back on different accomplishments in my life and I didn't have nobody to support me. Like my eighth grade graduation from Grange Intermediate in Fairfield. I walked from my house all the way to Fairfield High with my gown on. Nobody in my family was there. I didn't think about now. Uh, going to Contra Costa College, making it to the state finals, and track and field wow. at the age of 28. Nobody was there to cheer me on. Can you talk a little bit more about how you're back in school now and what led to you deciding to do that? When I came to San Francisco as a domestic violence, I had to go through a shelter for domestic violence. Was that after you were released from prison? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was um, for single women with children. But when you haven't had children or lived with children in a while, that don't work. So graduated out of there and I went to another shelter for safe seeking. It teaches you how to be safe in relationships and stuff. And I'm, matter of fact, was one of the first people graduated out of that program that they started in San Francisco. Took a job in the Tenderloin and just started seeing history repeat itself all over again. Little girls, little girls, you look at their eyes. Eyes have no soul. You can tell they have been violated. If it happened to me, it's happening to her. So my ultimate goal is to start a recreation center, nonprofit, where Boys and girls 16 through 24 get a second chance. Most of the kids you see today, they're not bad. 
They just don't have anybody to give them attention. They're just victims of circumstance. It takes a village to raise a child, but it takes the community to raise a village. Hopefully getting this nonprofit going and getting enough backing, we can cover all aspects. It's a long shot, but I don't want no little girl to feel like there's no one in this world she can trust. People don't realize most of the trouble people get in is because they was really traumatized as a child and they carried that anger for years. And then all of a sudden, a word or a smell or somebody just saying the wrong thing to you at the wrong time can make all that junk flow out. And to tell you the truth, I got a new therapist I'm starting to understand what PTSD means. The more you write, the more you set yourself free. The more you talk about it, the more you set yourself free. In order to deal with it, you got to cope, you got to go through it, you got to cry about it, you got to feel the pain. I look back now, some of this pain I've been holding on to for at least 40 years. Growing up in foster homes and stuff, a family member took the four oldest ones. I ended up being shuffled around. My mom got to keep the two youngest ones. This last little incident with the people not feeding their kids and stuff, I remember this. The Turpin family with the 13 kids, yeah. This um, foster home I was in. And what I'm about to share with you, it's going to help somebody else, but I need to share because I haven't even told my therapist yet. We used to go to Richmond every weekend, and her friend's son would molest me. Every time I would tell her, she would send me to bed with no food. And I got to the point where I'd be washing the dishes and I would always get stuff that, like, it mainly be sardines and stuff. Because it was a crack in the garage door like this. And I used to slide it up under there when I would go to school in the morning, I would get it. And I remember she caught me when her husband came home. She let him whoop me and whatever it was, it had a piece of metal or something in it and left a scar on my spine. Even though they took me up out of there, there's some things you just can't, can never get back, you know. Cause see, being in the foster home back then is different from being in the foster home now. People only done it for the money. They didn't care about the kid. So a lot of abuse was inflicted not just by the foster parents, mainly by their own children. Being around the young people here, going to school with them and stuff, it helps me to cope with things that's coming up in my life today. The more I come to school, the more I learn something about myself every day. And I need to learn to, I have things to say but I don't know how to say them. I just want to open up. 
Recreation Center called Co-Ed, Counseling Our Educated Delinquents. When you were talking about how prison was, for you, a pretty positive rehabilitating experience, do you think that a lot of the women that you were incarcerated with felt the same way? Do you think they all had those same resources and opportunities to rehabilitate themselves? Quite a few of them, yeah. When you give up on yourself, it doesn't matter. But there was a lot of women in there that cried every day. He locked a woman up for three years for stealing a loaf of bread. And you know she got five kids. You'd be surprised things that women are in prison for. Can you give us some more examples? Yeah. Like I said, self-defense. At uh, one time in the state of California, there wasn't a self-defense law. So women who defended themselves against their spouses or husbands were automatically incarcerated. That's where I learned a lot because a lot of the women share their stories and you wouldn't believe it. How do you lock up a pregnant woman because she defended herself, he died in the process, but she ends up losing her baby? But you still prosecute. The laws in prison are entirely different from the street. When it comes to the correction officers. Do you feel like you had a pretty good relationship with most of the correctional officers? or what? I had a good relationship with most of my correctional officers. I had a good relationship with most of my instructors. And yeah, I had a couple of incidents with some inmates, you know, because they will, you know. You get into one little argument, you walk away, they think it's open ground. Oh, she's a punk, we can punk her. So, of course, I think out of the eight years, I probably went to ADSEG about three times. ADSEG refers to administrative segregation, which you may have heard referred to as the shoe or solitary confinement. This is a disciplinary holding area where inmates are confined to a very small cell for 23 hours a day, during which time they are allowed no human contact. They are allowed to use their remaining one hour per day to take showers, have solitary recreation time in an enclosed concrete yard, and make phone calls. The first time my roommate, her name was Sherry, she was Indian. We woke up, she seen a bird on the windowsill, she said, Somebody lost somebody in their family. So about 10.30, I'm in high D working, and they call me to the sergeant's office. I like, wait a minute now. I don't socialize with nobody. Once I get in from, I go eat and go to my bed. I don't even like watching TV. But. Yeah. So I go in there, and he says, Sherry, I hate to give you some bad news. My grandfather had died. I was his favorite. I hate I was in prison when he died. And I couldn't get a gate pass because my charge was violent. A gate pass is a permission pass that allows prisoners to participate in activities such as volunteer and work assignments outside the prison gates. This status would also allow an individual to apply for a temporary furlough release in order to attend the funeral of a close family member. This type of pass is only available for people with nonviolent convictions. 
That's the first asset. Second asset was um, Nanny, Nanny Papa, the cousins, great cousins that raised my three oldest ones. I thank God for them because they had to raise my son. The eight years I was good, you know, you go off. Oh, Sherry, you know, you gotta go to the lieutenant's office this time. I gotta go to the lieutenant's office. They said, well, we got two different situations here. First situation is we have a young man who sent a video recording from Vacaville Medical Facility for you to watch. Well, nice person I am. I didn't mind helping out friends. He was a friend of my cousins. I knew he had AIDS and everybody turned their back on him. But he had got sick and I had an extra room. I didn't charge him or nothing. So I said, you know, you can come stay at the house till you feel better, get back on his medication well. And he sent a video recording to me thanking me for being a friend. Then turn around later on that day, I get called back. Nanny passed away. So I just went on and took me a little 30 day trip in accident. What's it like to lose someone and not be able to, to be there? That's the worst pain. I think that's what makes people whore, not being able to say goodbye, not being able to get closure. And in prison, you got any type of violence, you won't be there. And even if you do get to go, it's gonna cost your family sweet pity. But um, here most women, you know, you hear them talk about their war stories, but it's, it's not to glorify the war story is so you don't make the same mistake. They do have lifers in there that would, you know, share. One young lady, I had met her, Silver Brand, and the sweetest girl in the world, she got out, they came back. By the time I got to prison, she had already been in prison five years. She got convicted 18 of murder. Um, her drug addiction, she thought the guy was trying to rape her and she drove off in the car with him hanging on the hood. And you know, I met a couple that told me, you know, their PCP experience, one beat her brother to death with a baseball bat while she was on PCP. I'm working on trying to get my foul expunged now and it's, it's, it's hell. Because like I said, you know, at that time they didn't have no self-defense law. But thanks to some ladies at CIW, they got their ruling overturned and a lot of cases now are considered self-defense, but it's still taking them years to play catch up and correct everything. But I knew, do know a lot of ladies that's in prison now at that time in their life. They probably wish they had done things different I don't regret the mistakes I made. I wish I just had a I really don't know because it's kinda hard. You take a child that's been being molested 
He took the child from the mother at the age of five. She's in a foster home up until 14. She's pregnant at 15 and a half. Wants to have an abortion, nobody allow her to. So at 16, the hell with it. I'm a ward of the state, you might as well make me a emancipated minor, which they did. I've basically been on my own. I do think this time is just what it's for, for me to heal. I always wanted to go back to school. And I think God allowed me to be able to come back to school. It just, me, I like to explore because of prison. You know, we got the law library and we got the library. You'd be surprised. You, you said that you had been in quite a few different institutions all over California. Do you think that while you were in prison, there was a disproportionate amount of women of color who were in prison with you? Or was it pretty even as far as? It was, it was pretty even. Mm -hmm. It was pretty even. The only thing that I didn't like about it was, okay, we understand adolescence, you know, you 15, 16, trying to figure out who you are. And we understand peer pressure now. Peer pressure has driven people to commit suicide. Peer pressure has driven people to OD. And that's something that the state of California don't realize. When you take a 17-year-old, okay, it might have been murder, but you got to look at all the aspects that led up to this child wanting to kill somebody. But you're going to stick them in a prison where all that anger and bitterness going to develop over years. And by the time they get 25, she's swept down. They going to... I've seen it. I've seen it. I was, you know, like I said, I was part of the U-turn program. And the ones that you, let me tell you something, the ones that you really scared, and you know you're scared to mess out of them, them the ones that came back, because they like challenges. Well, I think we're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, so I just want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. If you could change anything in the criminal justice system and you had to pick one thing, let's say, what do you think you would do differently? Women's rights. Women's rights. Can you be a little more specific exactly what that means? When it comes to domestic violence and self-defense, um, with domestic violence, the woman's traumatized, the children's trauma traumatized. She got to pick up where her kids know it's home, go live in the shelter. Kids getting more traumatized because they're living with a bunch of kids that's traumatized. That would have to be corrected and self-defense. I look at just from me working and the times that I was sexually harassed, I could have stopped the right then and there, but sexual harassment wasn't a big issue back then. 
nothing became a big issue because it got out of hand. Yeah. We always wait. We'll introduce something into the community, but we always wait till it blow up in our faces before we try to correct it. And I think there was two things, women and self-defense and domestic violence. We, could, we have come a long ways. We, you know, we're, we're taking over the workforce and everything. We're that awesome mom, uh, uh, housewife, homemaker, the whole works. Mm. But the domestic violence is tearing women apart. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't never want to see a woman feel like they got to kill their husband in order to be safe. And that's what it's getting to now because it's just, they're not really doing nothing. What? Two thousand dollars from victim crime to move to another city, but you just—I just had to uproot my whole family. Sure, yeah. And they, you know, they don't look at that. They look at why well, spend money. Yeah, there's not enough resources for the victims. In the city, yeah, and, and mainly the kids, mainly the kids, because this little boy seeing his father beat on his mom, this little girl seeing her father beat on the mom. Mama, why you letting daddy beat on you? What do mama say? I can't just up and leave. You know, I really don't have a source of income to take you guys where you'd be safe and stuff. So a lot of times we tolerate it. I understand the, the, the woman, is, she's the one being hit on. But you have to make up in your mind, point blank, first time, last time. You got to think about your kids. A lot of these women, and I was one of them, I thought about my kid as far as the finances, but I didn't think about my kid as far as the mental. And hell, I can go shop at Goodwill and keep him in clothes every day, but I can't help him bounce back from, how the hell are you gonna tell me something you let this man beat on you for almost 30 years? And believe it or not, I used to hear that from my son sometimes. So, I just would, there would be two things that, you need more education on why. Why? Why would any woman allow a man to hit her? You know, why? Once you figure out who you are and what role you played in your relationship, things start falling into place. Because I need, even though it's going to take a couple of these classes, and my ultimate goal is women's studies. But after this, I think next semester, I need to take a few psychology classes because the environment, the upbringing, all that plays a big role on how you deal with life. The more, more you read, more knowledge, the more you understand, you know. We still have women who in the, they're in the United States, but they're still being treated as second-class citizen. And it shouldn't be that. Everybody should be able to walk equally alike. Or should everybody make a mistake? Everybody make a mistake. Some of us get caught, some of us don't. The one thing about society is unequal, and I'm not gonna lie to you, being black in America is the hardest thing in the world. I'm proud of who I am. I like walking with my nose up in the air because I'm just as human as anybody else. But you just, you, you could never, 
he just don't know. Oh man, you know it, it hurts when you're walking down the street. You guys gotta pass each other, but this person's scared to look you in the eye. If 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 you divide the world, what you got? Chaos. It just takes each one of us doing something positive to change the world. And it's not about trying to be better than the next person, but if you got that idea, you got that idea. That's how what makes the world grow. A lot of women don't want to do it out of fear of what their counterparts are going to say or how they're going to get treated. But when you're standing up for something right, you can always know somebody going to be there to try and tear it down. So. That's my goal is to work with children 16 through 17, mainly the females. Whenever I go to Los Angeles, because I'm an alumni of Los Angeles Mission and Douglas Center, they always ask me to give my testimony on a corner out there. I love doing it, but I hate doing it because once I start talking about my molestation, when you've been molested, you can tell with somebody else. And to see grown men standing there and the tears dropping, and I'm saying to myself, I know you've been through the same thing, but because they're men, they're scared to talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's a very different experience for men. But, like I say, right now, being in school with the younger generation, because they're innocent, you know, they don't know the garbage that's out there yet. And it just, it, it helps. And even with you, it's teaching me not to be scared to share with another culture. I think since I've been here in San Francisco, I'm healing, slowly but surely. I like San Francisco because of the diverse culture. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're healing and that you're able to talk so openly about your experiences. Girl, we ain't even hit the surface yet. <laughs> I'm gonna have to take you to therapy with me. <laughs> if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, sexual abuse, or child abuse, please consider taking action. There are resources available to you and people who are specially trained to help. Please go to www.telltheirstoriesproject.com support for a list of support resources and organizations that are available to you. To learn more about the Tell Their Stories Project and gain access to more exclusive content, be sure to go to www.telltheirstoriesproject.com. You can also find Tell Their Stories on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, linked on the site. If you're interested in telling your story, please visit www.telltheirstoriesproject.com contact.